Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mind Your Body. I am so excited today to share this interview with you that I had with Nana Koch. She's been a dance therapist for almost 50 years, and she's just a wealth of knowledge and gentleness and inspiration. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And I also want to remind you that while you're waiting for podcasts to be published, to visit my website, mindyourbodydmt.com, because I put up so much goodies. I put up movement interventions and little videos of how to use movement in your own life to help you with your decision making, with procrastination, with pain. And just a lot of practical ways to use dance and movement, even if you're not used to dancing and moving and it's not a familiar place for you. And I also go live on my Facebook page every week, twice a week, that it's Orit Krug Dance Movement Therapist. Just search that in the Facebook bar or the search bar and you'll find me. All right, so here we go. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Audio, and then, which I'll cut out the the stuff that we're not talking, and then I'm going to hit record over here. Ready? I guess. Actually, hearing. Hello, hello. All right, good. I was hearing some feedback. All right, so welcome, Nana, to Mind Your Body. And I'm really happy to have you here. You've been requested by several people. Um, so it's great to have you here. And I'd love for you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your background as a dance therapist. Great. Good morning. Thanks, Orit. Um, so I'm Nana Koch, and it's really a pleasure to talk about my work because it's been um, decades since I began working as a dance therapist in 1971. Um, I just Before we start, I, I also want to say that I've written several um, of my ideas out, so I might be doing a little bit of reading to really be as clear as possible about the work that I've been involved with for the last, um, I think it's 47 years. So I started, (laughs) um, I can say that I've been dancing since I was nine years old, which is at this point quite a long time. And so dance has really always been a very integral part of my life. And um, I decided that it was going to be a career path for me when I began to apply to colleges. And I was a dance major at Adelphi University and um, really just loved the idea of being on stage. I was very dramatic. I wasn't a technically brilliant dancer, but I was very dramatic so that there was something that I was always aware of the expression that was coming from me was, um, was really central to why it was that I began to dance. And I had a very fortunate experience in um, I guess it was probably the very beginning of my junior year in college when I walked into a dance history class and Elizabeth Polk was my dance history teacher. And that I had no idea when I walked into that class that it was basically going to change the course of my life. 
you know, I, I realized that I was not going to be a professional dancer, but there would needed to be some part of dance that I could carry through into a profession. I had no idea before really meeting Elizabeth that it was going to be dance therapy. She introduced us to the field by inviting students to come and observe her classes in when she was working at the Lexington School for the Deaf. And I don't remember, I don't recall too many other students actually taking her up on the opportunity to go and observe the sessions. But I do remember going by myself and walking into this room with this dynamic, exciting, joyful woman who was relating to children who could not hear her, but relating through the use of props, through the use of rhythm, through the use of stamping on her feet, so that the kids could really feel the rhythm going through their bodies um, from, from what they were experiencing in their feet. And, and all of a sudden, it, it just occurred to me that this was something that I could do. I knew that I wanted to be of service. I knew that I wanted to use dance. And there was Elizabeth offering me an opportunity to see a direction, to see a path that would really be useful for me. So from, 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 from that experience, when I graduated, um, I ran into a, an old friend from, from my, who was a classmate of mine who actually, she'd graduated a year before me, and she had just enrolled in Lillian's course. Actually, I should say she had finished being enrolled in Lillian's course. And she said, why don't you check it out? And I did. That became, I spent the year of 1970 to 71 working with Lillian Espinac in her certification program. It was the first certification program um, that you could literally walk away with this diploma in your hand. Marion Chase, of course, had been doing courses. And in 1969, I had had the opportunity of taking Marion Chase's course. But instead, I ran off to Colorado and taught dance at a girls' riding camp in the middle of the mountains. And sort of years later, I kicked myself, realizing what I had missed. But little did I know that Marion was as prominent as she had been. Um, so I, there I was enrolled in, in Lillian's course um, and really finding a path that is where I've been for the last 47 years. Um, coincidentally, you know, Lillian talked about Laban. Um, she talked about Chase, but we really did not delve into the Chase work. I didn't do that until many years later when I um, took some workshops with Claire and Alyssa, Claire, Claire Schnees, Alyssa White. Um, and then, of course, when I started working with Claire and Alyssa at Hunter College, which came in the night, starting in 1980. Um, but from 1970, <clears throat> excuse me, 1971 until 1980, I worked as a clinician. Um, and in that time, it became very apparent to me that I needed a language for describing my observations of client behavior. And Laban analysis seemed the way to go. So in 1978, I enrolled in the Laban Bartimia Institute of Movement Studies and, and became a CMA. And what that afforded me was the, the language and the system and the language for organizing my perceptions. And that was really central for me to be able to, to speak to the doctors at rounds, at, at weekly rounds, about how I saw changes in the client's body over time. Um, so that's really become, a, has been a very 
a positive vehicle for me to codify, systematize, um, pull together my perceptions in a way where I can talk about client behavior. So, so for, for those nine years in, in working in the field, I worked first um, at the Brooklyn Developmental Center, and I was the director of the dance therapy program where I hired three other dance therapists. We all worked part-time. We worked, at least there was one day a week where we all worked together, so we could really um, discuss and, and sort of jointly supervise each other on our work. Um, and that was a very fruitful, um, exciting time. I worked with Abby Cassell, Danny Frankel. Um, that was where Danny and I first met. Um, Marsha Perlmutter Kalina um, was another dance therapist. All of us are still in the field in one way or the other. Um, Danny, of course, runs Connections, and we've been colleagues, and I've taught actually Lillian's work there um, for many years. So, so the beginning for me was a very fertile time. Um, and working with what was then called retarded children, um, which now we speak about those with developmental delays, was a very important um, base of, of work for me because it was very um, it was very simple in some ways, and I, re I really had to go to, to basics. It was all about using the body. Most of the student, most of the, the children that we worked with, adolescents uh, and adolescents didn't have verbal language. So understanding how to really use the movement to make a connection, because movement is our first basis of, of communication, was essential in laying for me the groundwork of that important dance, movement, connection, therapeutic alliance with a client who's nonverbal. Um, and then from there, I went on um, to work at um, Fair Oaks Hospital in New Jersey, and that's a private hospital, and I worked with, on the, with adolescents um, who had various forms of affective disorders, and I also worked on the addiction unit um, with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, addicted adults. And then there, were, there was a, um, also a unit for people who had had um, breakdowns and, and depressive disorders. So um, my range of working with various patient populations was was really very much well-rounded. I had also, I forgot, actually, after leaving um, Brooklyn Developmental Center, my, that, my, that first job, I worked at Pilgrim Psychiatric Hospital. And um, way back in the, in the 1970s, um, there were, there was stockpiling, literally stockpiling of, of patients in long-term hospitals. And um, so I were at Pilgrim, uh, which was a New York State hospital, I worked on a unit where people had been um, admitted probably 30, some of them 20, 30, for, for 30, 20 or 30 years. And that was, those were chronic patients with range of schizophrenic disorders. So, so I've had a, a, a lot of different experiences um, that have really led me to be the therapist, educator that I've been for the last 47 years. Yeah, you've done a lot. And it's, it's really, it's really inspiring. So that gives you some some sense of where I've been and what I've been doing. Definitely, and the picture that you painted in your first years is like it's. I could just see the story. It's it's nice to see. It was it was really very exciting work because we really were um, at the at the just the sort of the beginnings of the profession, and and it was it, it, you know we were talking about our work at conferences and really sharing what we learned. I said, every day was a learning experience. 
And I guess I, I basically live my life in that same vein, which for me, regardless of what I know, there's always more to know and there's always more to learn. And so every day with every client is a new learning experience mm. that we shared and experienced over and over. Yeah, I still feel that way all the time. <laughs> um, well, it keeps going. So yeah. you have a couple more years. I mean, different for you when you were just starting the career or the field, yeah. but yeah like every day is a new learning experience it also you know back in the 70s jobs were plentiful i mean we created our own jobs people were interested in, in seeing what we did and knowing how we could relate to the clients in a way that verbal therapists and teachers sometimes had difficulty with because they didn't have the language of mirroring of empathy of of knowing how to reflect back which is all that we learned in our dance therapy training right yeah, so I wanted to ask you, out of you know all these years and all the different populations that you've worked with, what are your top guiding principles as a dance therapist? Well, I've written a couple of them down, so if you don't mind if I'm going to, uh, to read them so I really get them right. You know, I, I always start with the premise that the body reflects personality and that through movement, our clients reveal their inner life. So that's, that's the basis of, of my work. You know, if that's the corner, that's really the cornerstone for me. And that movement is a basic form of communication and, you know, basically is such we're, ba we're, we're helping clients to, through their body and through stimulating activity, to help them to reveal themselves. Um, so this serves to, for me to help the client to recognize where their energy blocks are, um, where they need to focus in order to release the unconscious emotions within. Um, another principle is that through movement and dance experiences, so movements, emotions, they're stimulated. So the stimulation of emotions is really an important premise for me. Um, I always, when, I, when I'm teaching, I always talk to students about, um, you know, ask them what they do when they're trying to hold back emotions. And everybody always says, I hold my breath. You know, I sort of, I clench, I tense myself. And then we start to move when I'm leading a session with students and all of a sudden they're breathing and they're experiencing their bodies in a new way. They're experiencing their emotions. So for me, it's really the stimulus of activity, which Marion Chase talks about as bodily action at the very beginning of the session. So that really is another um, premise that motivates me. And, and in the group um, setting, which and I, and I do, when I was working, I worked a lot in groups. Um, I always wanted to provide opportunities um, because well, I should say it this way, groups provide an opportunity for socialization and also for developing community. And um, another real guiding principle for me is the importance of looking at a group as a system and looking at all of our, all of our interactions as a system. Um, my doctoral studies, I, I worked with anthropologists and sociologists, and the courses that I took really helped me to understand that we jointly um, coordinate our, ourselves in an, in an, in an inter whenever we're in interaction with another. You know, we organize how we interact and um, because we're part of a system, and that system needs to be looked at. So I, I look at there's the bodily action as a stimulus for emotion, 
There's the sense of, of how we jointly organize each other. There's the therapeutic relationship between you and me and the client. Those kind of all um, come together for me as, as sort of being the bedrock of my work. And, and also kind of like that every, speaking of the system, that every action causes a reaction kind of thing. Every action causes a reaction but we're not always sure what that, what that reaction is right. unless we really look at it with some, some systematic way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a, I, and, I, and I guess I like to talk about it as that there's a joint interaction, that we jointly um, coordinate each other in, a, in an interaction. And, it's, and, and I, in, in my doctoral studies, I did a lot of frame-by-frame frame analysis. And if you look at... At even what you and I are doing together as we're looking at each other and we're shaking our heads together, right? We jointly, we're letting each other know that we are in agreement. So there's something about this joint interaction. We're giving each other cues. And sometimes it's not only, a, not always even a reaction. It's a joint hmm, um, experience right. together at the same time. We can sort of feel, so. Yeah, important distinction there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think that that's sort of what, um, you know, basic premise that the body reflects personality, stimulate the body, and you stimulate the mind, and you stimulate the flow of emotions. We jointly, systematically organize each other. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, hearing that is, like, really, really easy to understand, um, because we can, dance therapy can be so abstract, and the work that we do can be really abstract, so I like how you put that into kind of more understandable understandable words um and it's like the, the foundation like i hear a lot of foundational concepts that you're putting there into the work so that's important and, and one other foundational concept is and this is really what i learned from all of the, the women that i studied with never forget that the dance is the most powerful hmm. connection between us so running through the idea that um, that the body reflects personality, it's the body is reflecting personality in the dance of the individual, in the movement of the individual. So never forgetting that that that's at our that's the bedrock. Yeah. We're movers, we're dancers, and we use that as a means of communication. And thank you for saying that because I've gone through my own personal roller coaster with that and I know that other people have of like using the word dance and like for me there's almost, almost been a kind of shame associated with it because I think I take on like that's kind of like the counter-transference I take on from when I say dance or dance therapy and there's there's a lot that comes up with that word so I've played with stepping back from it and now, now I'm in this phase of like, I'm embracing it. And this is my, this is my selling point as my practice and my business, but it feels so much better to come back to it. Cause that's, that is, I'm assuming for everyone listening as well as like what drew us in to this field. It's, the you know, it's interesting the, the use of the word. When I was working at Pharaoh's hospital with adolescents, it was really hard to call our dance therapy groups dance therapy because mm -hmm. adolescents, they, they, they just, they, it, it didn't resonate for them. 
So that was a time when I, when I was happy that I had the word movement therapy also. And actually, I didn't even call them therapy groups. I called them movement groups. Right. And I worked with an art therapist so that they were the creative arts groups. Um, and sometimes we would be drawing and then we would be moving our drawings. And then sometimes we would be using clay and creating sculptures. And then they would three-dimensionalize their sculptures into a movement dialogue between themselves and their and their their whatever they created. Um, so, I, you know, I always needed to know who my audience was in order to be able to capture the, um, the attention. Right. Um, but I do consider myself a dance therapist, and I do say that. And some often it's at a, at a, at a, at a dinner party, it can be a sentence stopper. You're a what? <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, oh, okay. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> And of course, I never let them move on. So. Right. No, I'm going to advocate right now. Yeah. And and like, that's a, that's a good point of we, we can change the language based on the people we're working with. But when we come back to ourselves and our purpose and our passion, dance, I feel like dance is so important there. Like it, the word has to be there. And we have, and it's important for us to do it on our own too, for ourselves and keep dancing, keep moving. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about being trained or, or training with Lillian Espinac um, and other early founders. So I'm wondering what are the most valuable things that they taught you that still impacts you today and how you, I don't know if you practice still, but if that, in the way that you teach. I'm not practicing clinically, but I am teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, I have been known to be the person who teaches Lillian Espinac's work. Um, and I've brought that work actually to India, to Japan, to China. Um, I'm actually leaving in a couple of weeks to go to Beijing um, to teach at a, the Apollo um, Education and Consulting in Beijing. And I'm going to be teaching Lillian's work along with um, talking about group process and dance therapy. And I'll also be going to Hong Kong um, after that to be teaching at the university, also Lillian's work. So yes, Lillian has been one of the most um, essential influences in my life. Um, But I want to just, before talking about Lillian and that influence, um, it's also important to talk about um, the work that I did with Elizabeth. Because um, Elizabeth was an incredibly joyful woman. And she was a very, um, she had a really positive outlook on the world. And, you know, I was really, I'm indebted to her for helping me realize that I could use dance in the service of working with others, but also that the personal quality of being joyful, the personal quality of being positive um, in working specifically with children means that you're bringing your best self to the, to the client, that you're bringing a sense of um, a vitality to the client. And really from, from Elizabeth, I understood the power of being vital in myself and understanding mm-hmm. where my own um, positive energy was coming from. So I, that, that's really a, a debt that I, that I give to her, or not a debt, it's a, it's a um, but that, that influence from her modeling joyful, positive um, energy is really 
it's part of everything that I do. And, and, it, and, and I try to bring that best self wherever I go. The other thing that, that, that Elizabeth was really spectacular on was understanding about how to be so respectful to children. Um, you know, she never talked, spoke to them, spoke down to them. It was always that they had something to offer her, she had something to offer them. And um, no matter how incapacitated or handicapped they were, she always re wanted us, us students to remember that even if you can't express your feelings, it's in there somewhere. And it's for you, the therapist, to draw them. So, so that's really, that's been a, a, a guiding um, remembrance for me. Joyful, bring the positive, and really capture what the, what the client can do as opposed to what the client can't do. Right. And where so, do you, can I ask you where you tend to draw your joy and positive energy from? Like, is there something that you do regularly or... Like what's, I just want to know, <laughs> like what, well, what works well, I, I dance. Yeah. Um, I take, a, I take a, an Eric Hawkins dance class every Friday. And, and I actually do that. Um, Tina Erfer and I, and you might know Tina, mm -hmm. uh, Tina and Erfer and I, Erfer and I take that class together along with actually Joan Berkowitz, who's another dance therapist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we go to lunch together and talk about our lives. And then I, I take several yoga classes a week and, um, and I hike, I do a lot of hiking, and I find that when I hike, I think a lot. I, it's my meditation. Um, so I sort of, I, and, and, and I try to treat myself to something every day that gives me some, something positive. And whether that's just simply walking out my door. I live in a, in a house um, that's surrounded by trees, and sometimes I literally just walk outside and I will look around and, and understand and really feel very grateful for the work that I've chosen and the life that I have. So I think it's about somehow capturing and, and recognizing how grateful I need to be because I have a lot that has been given to me and I've been able to give it back. Nice. And with body and movement, too, like there's the common thread through all the what you do. Always the common thread. Moving is always the common thread. Yeah. It was, um, I, I remember my mother saying, is there any way to get you to sit down? And I'd say, <laughs> mm, I don't think so. <laughs> so, so. So movement has always been part of my life, and it's always been a central need for me. Mm. And, and I guess the other piece is that it's really important to find a community of people who you can connect with. And, and I've been very lucky in having a professional community and a personal community because mm -hmm. um, I think that connecting with other people is a really essential piece of living. Yeah, so, I agree. So I think that that's been sustaining as well. Mm, definitely. So, yeah, I, I cut you off with that question, but, um, and you were going to go no, on. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. I just know it's like, it's a big uh, theme that keeps coming back uh, through the, all the podcasts of like what, what to do, um, how to take care of yourself. Like the word self-care is thrown around a lot and I like to get down the specifics. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, you know, that was, that was one of the things that I was going to end with, which is how important it is mm. for, especially in our work, um, 
to really nurture yourself in some way. Do something every day that gives you some pleasure because the work can be very um, exhausting and draining, but also it's energizing at the same time. Um, so dance, relax, take care of yourself by whatever means provides you with an opportunity for joyfulness. And and you know, Lillian, I'm going to speak about her in a minute. Lillian talked a lot about kind of um, capturing the vitality. Actually, Claire Schmace also talked about, um, when she talked about healing factors, really capturing the vitality of the individual. You know, so many of the clients that I've worked with have been, um, really, they're alienated from society. They're they're not um, connected, and that they've lost their vitality because, as Lillian would say, um, their their um, their 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 sense of personal drive, um, a personal feeling, has really been suppressed. And when when we're suppressed, our vitality drains from us. So finding a way to keep yourself vital and finding a way to keep your energy vital is really essential. And if I can find myself, I can also perhaps help others. And that's another, I guess, another premise underlying the work. Right. Yeah. So I'm sort of weird a little bit, but, um, you know, that, that sort of leads me into the work of Lillian, um, who, in, in, her, in her, her sense of being a pioneer, um, really understood deeply the how the use of dance, how the use of improvisation really leads to the revelation of your inner life. You know, she worked with Mary Vigman, who was all about the expression of emotion. And as Lillian would say about, emotion is not always pretty. Um, and so that for Lillian, it didn't matter whether it was pretty or whether it was, um, you know, obviously, if you're coming into therapy, you're not coming in because you're feeling great. Um, but really helping the client to dig down through a series of um, of exercises and um, and directives on how to really sort of um, or, or she went went about in her series of, of directives um, to help clients to find that emotional life that was perhaps hidden and suppressed. So she, I think, she was probably the first person to develop. A, system, a, a codified, systematic way of looking at treatment. And, and um, she talks about it actually in her book called Psychomotor Therapy, um, Dance, Dance Therapy Theory and Practice, which I believe is out of print, but for me is one of the most um, insightful books about the work that we do. And she talks about her, she talks about it as a two-part system, but I actually talk about it as a three-part system. For treatment, and um, it really resonates for me because it looks at it focuses on diagnosis, and then it focuses on restructuring, and then it focuses on the integration of the individual. Um, Lillian de developed what I believe is the first set of a set of, the first assessment tool that she called the movement diagnostic tests. And while they were identified as tests, I always call them the movement diagnostic assessments um, because they really ascertain where a client starts in their bodies. And, and, and she's looking at, she looked at these very simple, there are eight very simple tests 
that she actually developed when she started working at the mental retardation clinic at Flower Fifth Avenue Hospital, which is where her certification course was taught. Um, so we studied for one year. We spent time um, in the mental retardation clinic for part of the week, and then we spent time actually one day a week in her studio doing all the, um, the improvisational work that became characteristic of her last phase of treatment, which was integration. So let me just go back to talk a bit about her movement diagnostic tests because they really looked at a client's drive, a client's coordination, their impulse control, their, um, their courage, and their ability for emotional expression. And, and in administering these tests, um, the simplicity of them really gives you a baseline for understanding those categories, you know, drive, coordination, impulse control, courage, and ability to express. Um, and I really like these tests because they reveal where the blockages are in the body and where the blockages are emotionally. So, so that's the first part of the system that Lillian talked about, that um, I never walk into, I sort of rarely walk into any therapeutic situation without thinking diagnosis, assessment, you know, what's going on. Um, because that, again, gives me an understanding of where to go. And if you're a, a kind of therapist that is goal-driven, mm-hmm. um, which these days in, in the way the medical system is, is functioning, um, we need to be able to show change. And so if you start with an assessment and this very simple assessment and then you look at it over time, then you can understand change. Um, Lillian also believed very much in, in what she called the restructuring um, part of her sessions and or the, the, the restructuring part of her, um, her, of her treatment. Um, and in the restructuring, which is restructuring second part, she developed a series of physical exercises um, designed to really help the client open up their body blocks. Um, Lillian worked with... Um, with Alexander Lowen, who is a Reikian therapist in, in, in his bioenergetic work. And there was a lot of focus on really looking at where armor was located. And you know, from the diagnostic um, and understanding where those blocks were, she could literally prescribe certain physical exercises that she developed that would help to free the body of, of strictures of whatever constrictions um, there were, and and helping the client to feel more bodily freedom. And her idea, of course, was when you feel more bodily freedom, then you're able to express yourself to a greater extent. So there you've got diagnosis, and from that, she'd understand where to to take the restructuring exercises and help you to to, uh, remove those blocks. You know, Blanche Evan found the same way. She talked about functional technique. You know, that, that there were some parallels in what Lillian was doing and what some of other other dance therapists were doing. Um, but this but Lillian talked about it as restructuring, Blanche talked about it as functional technique. Um, Bartinev came up with Bartinev fundamentals. So there was a there was a you know, there was a thread I think running through that um, through some of those earlier dance therapists um, who were working simultaneously. Um, the restructuring gave way to Lillian's third part of her system, which she called integration. And there she drew on the dance 
so um, poignantly because it was really all about um, designing or helping the client to sort of develop um, their own understanding of where their emotional life laid in their body, where it was held in their body. And she used improvisation. She used mask work. Um, she used a lot of props. She always had props in the audience. In the, in the office, I mean, in the, in the studio, she used musical instruments. From her perspective, anything that a client needed in order to be able to release their emotional life through movement was what they could do. So integration um, was also about, in, the, in this improvisational work, um, unleashing what Lillian called the four emotions most common in man. She talked about anger, calm, joy, and fear. And so all of her work was really about unleashing that, um, along with when you find calm, how you find the vitality in your life and how you find um, the personality that you can bring into the world that um, will be more integrated. So, so overall, that was the lens that she looked through, and it's the lens from which I have looked when I am doing therapeutic work. So there I, you know, put together with, with Elizabeth's um, understanding or, or my, um, the model of Elizabeth of being sort of the, the positive, let's take what, what the client can do, um, being joyful, being present, um, bringing my best self, and then understanding how to look at client behavior and help them through a process. So I think, um, which is why I teach Lillian's work all the time, because I think it's just... Um, it's brilliant in its way of, of seeing the client as a, as a, in, as the sort of the holistic part of the, a, a, a way of holistically looking at a client from beginning of treatment to the end. Mm -hmm. And it's resonated for me, which is why I teach it. Yeah. I'm really now, interested. Like, is there anywhere to learn more about this? Well, actually, um, I'm going to be teaching um, Lillian's work. Well, I'll, I'll be in Beijing in October. I'll be in Hong Kong also in October. Um, and I'll be teaching at Connections in, um, in Rochester in April. I think it's the last week of April. If anybody's interested, they can actually go on the Connections website. And, um, and I believe that Danny has may, may have already identified the dates. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, I believe we do, we do a, it's a 30-hour course. We do over four days and we do a little bit, um, we do about four hours online at the end of the class. Um, people have to administer a movement diagnostic test and then do an evaluation right. and a treatment plan. Yeah. So go to Ken's website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that would be valuable. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I want to say one more thing um, in regards to influence. So while um, Elizabeth and Lillian really their work formed the basis of my own. Two other women have been enormously influential in my own development as a therapist and, and professional and, and teacher and educator. Um, and that's Claire Schmace and Alyssa White. And my colleagues, my friends, uh, my dear hearts. And I, I, I worked at Hunter College um, after I left um, um, Fair Oaks Hospital. Was it Fair? I guess it was Fair Oaks. Um, I went to teach at, at Hunter, where I was for 17 years. 
Um, but prior, I had studied with, um, I'd taken several workshops and Chase work with Alyssa and, and with Claire. And, you know, and Lillian did a little bit of talking about Chase. We did some development of sessions. But, um, but it was really when I met Claire and Alyssa that I fully understood the power of using Chase work as when you're working with groups. And um, and I I really have specialized in working with group and understanding group process. Um, it again my my need my understanding of systems dynamics um, the chase work fit in very well with with how um, interested I was I, I am and was in, in systems. So um, I really learned how to create from Alyssa and both watching Alyssa and Claire work um, how to create a safe space by really meeting clients' needs um, in the moment. Um, I came to understand, um, watching Alyssa, if, you've ever, if anybody has ever watched her lead a dance therapy group, about the importance of smooth transitions and how to enact them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you probably had Alyssa when you I were did, at yeah. you were <laughs> um, So you know what I'm talking about when we talk about the transitions between the movements. Um, and also... Um, how important it is just to keep the dance, keep the movement going in the session while connecting with each client and meeting their needs. Um, I, I used Alyssa, a, a videotape of Alyssa's, of a dance therapy session that Alyssa ran um, for my own doctoral dissertation. And, and in teasing it apart, you know, I was so struck and, and how much I learned about um, connecting to each client calling their names, bringing them in, picking up their movements very subtly and then developing them like a dancer would and developing a combination. Um, so their influences in showing me the power of really using bodily action and rhythm and making a therapeutic alliance, which is what Shaklin and Schmace wrote about when they talked about the Chasian session. Um, you know, from Claire, I, I always talk about the healing factors of dance therapy, you know, and, and, and without that influence, it, that wouldn't have, possibly would not have come into my own lexicon of, of how I work and what I talk about. Um, you know, Claire's um, writings on group process, um, I use those articles all the time because they're central to an understanding of the warm-up and the development and the closure of the session. So, so, so the power of their, of their alliance together um, helped me to understand, and their work, their early work with, with Marion, um, really helps me to understand, has helped me to understand over the years how essential um, a, the dance is. I know Claire and Alyssa, as Lillian did, as Elizabeth, always focused on the dance and the essential nature of what it is that we do when we're together with another person in a session. Um, So so each one of these women supported my understanding of the work that I do now. Yeah. Lucky me, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know. Like, I feel so honored to talk to you and hear all about this. Um, And I feel like the way that you just described that was so beautiful, like pulling that those really important pieces um, from each from each person, from each um, 
person who mentored you and inspired you. So thank you. You know, that's how legacy goes. Um, if you're, if you know, that, that legacy is really important because what, what, what you, what we take from our mentors and our teachers, and if we use it well, um, then we have an opportunity of really passing on really best practices. And I feel like, you know, that's what I'm trying to do in, in, in talking about Lillian's work, um, is, is promoting best practices and in also acknowledging my own, uh, my own background and my own mentors. Right. Well, um, we got to wrap up soon, but I wanted to know what, what are, you already said one piece of advice. So two other pieces of advice for dance movement therapists today, whether they're new seasoned or anywhere in between. Okay, I wrote this down because I think it's really important. So remember always that dance and movement are the basic forms of communication we use in our work. And through this medium of dance, people reveal their innermost life. Always remember the dance is there. Keep the dance alive in your practice. Keep it alive in your daily lives. Keep it alive forever because there is much power in movement. Um, this is very, this, for me, this is really important. It's know yourself, know your strengths, know your source of your own vitality and also your own challenges. Um, don't be afraid to get supervision when you feel that you need to go more deeply into your own process or more deeply into understanding how to work with others. So it's really knowing yourself and seek out people who can help you move through your own challenges. Um, always remember how important it is to build a safe environment for your clients. And therefore, you, I think it's really important to be an observer, to be patient, to really watch what's going on and not bringing your own stuff into what you're seeing, but really opening up your eyes, leaving your own um, inner dialogue about yourself behind and really see. Clients want to be seen. They want to be heard. And it's your job to open up your eyes to really take in what they're giving you. So remember that. And then keep dancing. Renew yourself. Do something every day that you feel is going to be nurturing because the work is challenging and the work is exciting, but the work is also tiring. So find a way of renewing yourself and use your own power of movement to do that. Yeah. Thank you. I got to be honest, I woke up feeling pretty self-doubtful today and I just hearing you say that it was just lit me up and everything else that you've talked about has been really inspiring today. Great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And um, I'm very appreciative to be able to talk about this. Yeah. And thank you for sharing so generously. (laughs) My pleasure. Yeah. Um, Is there any way, like any other way we can follow you and, you know, where you're teaching and all that? Um, You know that the American Dance Therapy Association has a calendar um, of alternate route courses and um, Barbara Nordstrom Loeb um, has actually is the one who's in charge of that calendar and 
Um, I've actually, I've, so I, I usually put down where I'm, where I'm working on that. Um, you can send me an email if you want to know more about my work. N-A-N-A-5-9 at AOL.com. Nana59 at AOL.com. Um, I love to talk about Lillian's work, and, uh, and I'm always willing to travel to do that. You're welcome. My pleasure. Same here. Thank you so much, Arid.